Welcome to San Diego Sessions. We're here with guitarist Robin Henkel. Listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast, featuring local artists, new releases, and more. Here are your hosts, Ian Tordella and Ed Kornhauser. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, good day. Welcome to San Diego Sessions. Do <laughs> oh, you want me to do that again? No, I just thought it was funny. Okay. <laughs> well, hi. Uh, this is San Diego Sessions. I'm your host, Ed Kornhauser. And I'm your other host, saxophoner, Ian Tordella. Uh, I'm piano, I guess. That That's case. what my son calls me. He's like, well, you're a saxophoner, right? But them fighting yeah. words. <laughs> uh, and we're joined here today by our guest, uh, guitarist Robin Hinkle. All right. Happy to be here. Yeah. Good morning. Yes. Yeah, so stoked you're here. You're, um, we were talking earlier about how to introduce you as a guitarist or a blues guitarist or a jazz guitarist. And you're, I think, it's safe to say, one of the most eclectic musicians around. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, before we get into some tunes, I have some exciting pressing questions for mr ed kornhauser oh excite and press away <laughs> this is this is this versus that special bass player edition oh, for good. some reason i went to upright bass today huh. okay feel free, first, to, feel free uh, to jump in okay, okay. Moves okay. on this this is we we i can pick one or the other there's no rules to this just i have to pick one that's the rule. Is that this is like a, a rule. quiz? Sort of. It's a quiz with no rules and no right answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So sort of. All right. First up, bassist from Duke Ellington's band who helped define the sound of what walking bass is, Mr. Jimmy Blanton mm-hmm. versus uh, creative bassist with the John Coltrane quartet, Jimmy Garrison. Garrison. Uh, ooh. I mean, you would ha- would you have Jimmy Garrison without Jimmy Blanton? I mean, would you? I don't know. Is there like a evolutionary through line? A thread. Where, yeah, a thread that if you, I mean, by well, that logic, be, there's got everybody heard Ellington. So, but by that logic, you got to go with Jimmy Blanton because you know he was there at the beginning and really helped solidify it. But uh, you know, I love Jimmy Garrison's playing, obviously, in the Coltrane Quartet. I'm just going purely. You wouldn't have one without the other. There's no good answers to these. Yes, okay. exact, exactly. These are they're gonna get progressively more difficult as we go on. Next up, legendary bassist and was a longtime professor at Cal Arts, Charlie Hayden mm. versus Charles Charlie Mingus. Oh my! Oh, that's really hard. I told you they're gonna get yeah. tougher. I mean, for body of work, I gotta go with Charles Mingus. He did so much. He really revolutionized like. The jazz world and his compositions and his band leading and um, his perform yeah no I gotta go with Charlie Mingus but I do love 
Char- or Charles Mingus. I do love Charlie Hayden too. Um, especially with like the Keith Jarrett quartet and oh man, it was one of the it's one of the saddest things I think I've ever seen in my life. It was I was in New York and it was the it was the day Michael Brecker died, and Char- Charlie Hayden was doing a performance with the Liberation Jazz Orchestra orchestra and he had been told a few minutes before he went out on stage that michael brecker had had died and he they knew each other and they were friends and they before they were before he went out there playing a recording over the loudspeakers that they were together and so charlie hayden came out and gave this gave michael brecker this impromptu uh eulogy wow on stage for about three four thousand people he was crying it's one of the saddest things i saw because you could tell how much it Heard him. Michael Brecker meant a lot to a lot of people. So I, for some reason, even though that's more about Michael Brecker, whenever I think about Charlie Hayden, I think about that moment and and just seeing that it was it was really sad, but it was a beautiful dedication. That's powerful. It yeah. was. It genuinely was. Okay, this is this is the king of the questions here. I get brownie points for coming up with this one. Oh boy, <laughs> both of these belong to iconic piano trios. First up, Israel Crosby bassist Israel Crosby of the Ahmad Jamal trio, mm-hmm. and then, of course, of the Bill Evans trio, Chuck, Chuck Israels. That is good. That is that is good. <laughs> uh, we just got into jazz for the puns and yeah, the jokes. Ex- exactly. Stick to your puns. Um, I'm going to go with... Oh, boy, that's tough. I think I'm going to go with Chuck Israels. I listen... I love the Bill Evans trio, and I... and I. He's on Everyone Digs Bill Evans, isn't he? I think he is. I believe so, yeah. Him and yeah. Who's on who's on drums? I can't remember on that record. But anyway, yeah. It's a tough call. There's no there's no losing or winning in this. So I'm gonna go with Chuck Israels. <laughs> I can't win. I just have to pick one and go with it and make the best. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, again we're here with our special guest, Robin Henkel, guitarist, international man of mystery, and <laughs> uh, wearer of wearer of tweed. Uh, I yes. think possibly. Oh, <laughs> I th- I'm guessing that's what that coat's made out of. Oh, Marley Watt gave me this jacket. You played with Marley oh, Watt, yeah. didn't you? Old yeah, Marley, he gave me two drummer, of them, yeah. and I think I lost the other one. But it's a good jacket. He's been my. He's been giving me so many pieces of clothing, and they've worked so well that I call him Marley of Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, we're gonna get into a tune. This first one is called Slippery. And this is off your latest record, correct? It's, I guess the title cut of the my latest CD, which is which uh, came out in uh, December 2017. It's pretty new. It's pretty new. And yeah, the, some the, mostly acoustic. Uh, well, I play through an amp and stuff, but people call that acoustic these days. You yeah. know, it's a it's a blues guitar inspired record with uh, all solo, and there are uh, bass and drums on two or three songs. Gotcha. And it's uh, the title of the record is "Slippery Like a Watermelon Seed." That's right. And is this just tune just called "Slippery" or? Sl- you know what? I don't know. I think it's. <laughs> I call it "Slippery," but it's called "Slippery as a Watermelon gotcha. Seed." Also, gotcha. It's called both. Gotcha. It's got an AKA. Sometimes I'm walking down the road. Um, I get all messed up, I forget where I'm going. This ain't nothing like anything that I'd ever known. When I see her, my trash starts overflowing. She's slippery. (laughs) Like a watermelon seed. Oh, she's 
shall not be slippery. She got everything I need. little miss that's when my love is beginning to hiss I don't know her name or who she is she got me all messed up like nobody's business oh she's slippery like a watermelon seed mm-hmm, she's so not for slippery She got everything, everything I need Creeping into my dream when I'm sleeping in the night This little girl has got me wrapped up real tight I don't know her name or who she is She got me messed up like nobody's beeswax Ow, she's slippery <laughs> Like a watermelon seed mm, She's sure enough, it's sure enough slippery She got everything I need And we're back on San Diego Sessions, almost live, coming to you from Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. And we're here with our guest guitarist, Robin Hinkle. That was <laughs> Slippery from his latest album, which actually was the winner for Best Blues Album for the SDMAs this year. The San Diego yeah. Music Awards. And <laughs> yeah. as, uh, as I believe you said earlier in a break, uh, this is not your first win in that category. There have been two preceding wins in Best Blues CD, going all the way back to the year 2000, and then once for uh, Best Blues Artist also, all which way, I think was about three years ago. All the way back to the year 2000. Sorry, <laughs> I just got to chill. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, wow. Um, that was really that was really cool. As I was saying kind of before the break, like you really do pull from a, from a wide variety of musical styles not just blues um you could definitely hear some of the jazz creeping in like there's not a blues musician there's not a lot of blues musicians who go for those really cool like 13 chords like mm -hmm. you do and and then at the end not to get too shop talky but uh that cool like totally diminished mm -hmm. and then resolving is a super like jazz thing it was cool there it definitely caught my ear yeah well thank you i love that stuff um, so where did you, uh, where and when did you record this record? I recorded this at Jeff Berkeley studio, uh, in, uh, October and we did pretty much 90% of it in three, 
three-hour sessions. And you know, you know, since I do these songs on solo gigs all the time for the last, some of these songs I've been playing for 20 years, oh, wow. it's not one of those sessions where you have to rehearse and get all ready and st- like just walk in and play. Right. Because it's, it, however good it is, that's how good I am. I have to just accept that and just go to the next piece, you know. Warts and all. And, actually, I mean, I think it sounds great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, the reason I chose Jeff's studio, I'd never recorded there before, but Jeff would hire me to come in and, you know, play uh, a dobro part on somebody else's, another artist's uh, record that he was producing. And uh, the last couple of times when I walk out of the the recording room into the control room and I heard the sound he got on the guitar, he says, man, that's the best sound anybody's ever got on that guitar. Mm. And he's, you know, using a combination of ribbon mics, amplifier, acoustic, you know, and just blending all of that. And he's got really good ears. And I said, man, I'm going to record here next time. Wow. And I did. I feel like recording acoustic music is so often more of an, it's, an, it's more alchemy than science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I could say art, but I'd rather, I'd rather say alchemy in this specific, specific moment in time. <laughs> I don't know how my, my engineering uh, co-host feels about well, that. Well, it, it sounds great. And yeah. I love the sound of that resonator guitar. And mm-hmm. just, I mean, it really gives life to the track. And it makes, yeah. it, it makes it sound so big and so full, and it's just you. Mm-hmm. Did you record uh, vocals and guitar together? Yeah, all, everything was done together. Wow. I don't think there are any overdubs on this record, except for I added a, uh, a recorded about three tunes with drums and guitar and vocal all live, and then I added a bass part. So the only thing that was overdubbed was a bass on three songs. Gotcha, gotcha. For certain kinds of music, for like pop, dance music, adding a vocal later is terrific. Yeah. But um, for this kind of earthy music, and it's not like every lick is not rehearsed. It's like the vocal and the licks kind of like flow with each other. It's definitely the kind of music you you should record live. Yeah. You know, closer to jazz, really. Yeah. Um, They do similar to jazz in that way. They, uh, they definitely, they weave in and out. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of like you're, you're doing two things at once, but because you've been doing it so long, they're so integrated. Yeah, they are. They really are. It's, it would be, sometimes I hear like, I, like I know this is a little bit different, but the great Esperanza Spaulding, you, have you heard her bass? I, I know of her. Yeah. Bass player. She's a great singer. Um, she always practices both together. Mm-hmm. Like she, I mean, she could do, she could stand up and sing and then she could just play bass. But when she practices, she practices both mm-hmm. at the same time so yeah. that those two things are always fused. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who? So I guess actually it was mostly solo, but who played drums on this? Uh, you Gary Nevis. Gary Nevis played drums Very on, cool. uh, I think, I believe three tracks. Oh, cool. Right and uh, it, it, I can just totally rely on him. Gary and I get together almost every week uh, and do just a, uh, you know, I don't know if you'd call it a rehearsal. It's just an informal playing session uh, once a week at my house nice. with a bass player. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, I love Gary's playing. I just got to work with him at the Grant on a pickup gig a couple of weeks ago, but I hadn't seen him in a while. And, mm-hmm. and we were reading all the stuff and he just sounded excellent. So yeah, he's so wonderful. And I, versatile too. So mm-hmm. yeah, he plays rock and jazz and what, whatever. I think one of the things that really caused me to notice, cause I've known of him for a long time, but I watched um, ESP, the Miles Davis tribute with Lynn Willard. Oh, yeah, yeah. About Mitch Manker, six yeah. years ago or so. Yeah. yeah. And pianist, w- local pianist Lynn Willard, just for the, for the record. And Let when the record um, <laughs> they did a show at Dizzy's one time, God, it might have been more like 10 years ago, Gary was a drummer. And at certain points of the show, he was, he was just so light. And I said, whoa. 
deeply expressive and the ability to hit hard, but just like it, just really balance himself with the whole thing. Very deep level of musicianship. Oh yeah, I've known him for. I think I was a teenager about the time I met him. So uh, back in the the early two thousands, I mm-hmm. was when I when I met him for the first time. Yeah, been a just it's been an awesome. I have gotten to play with him much recently, but he's he's a great drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, did you write all the music on this record? Yes, I did. Okay, I, com- I, I don't know if you'd call composing the right word for like a lot of the blues tunes that I do, but uh, the lyrics come up out of just some silly conversation or they, they, you know, they just come to me somehow. I don't think of myself as a writer of lyrics, but I've written lots of songs that have lyrics. Uh, some people are good at it and deep. Uh, yeah. I don't think of myself as being deep at all. I just write surface level, you know, funny stuff that appeals to me in one way or another. Um, you, and then the, a lot of the music, you know, it's funny when you're playing these solo gigs where people aren't really paying attention very much and you're just putting the money in your pocket and going to the next <laughs> oh, one. Oh, I don't know what that's like yeah, at all. We, no, yeah. None of us know about that. <laughs> well, on, you know, a percentage of those gigs, you can just sit up there and play the same song for 15 minutes and nobody, it's, you're getting paid to practice is the way I look yeah. at it. And I try can get into stuff, that groove yeah. and like I'm stomping my foot on the mic stand again. And like, you know, you try stuff and I'm not worried about if I'll try something I've never played before oh, and yeah. just like put it all together. And the next thing I'll go, God, I hope I remember that because that was great, you know? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you do remember it. And sometimes those, those uh, you know, playing with yourself uh, improvisations become songs. Yeah. I've, so, so on the writing side, do you uh, keep notebooks and stuff or with lyrics or what's oh, your yeah. process like? Uh, n- not as much lyrics, but I compose uh, jazz music also. And when I do that, it'd be either on the guitar or a piano. I can't sit down and play you songs on the piano, hmm. but I, you know, taken some good lessons with harmony with Hal Crook. And, oh, yeah. uh, oh, wow. And, Very uh, cool. I studied with Peter Sprague back in the 70s Jeez. when a lesson with Peter Sprague was $10. <laughs> oh, wow. Are you going to believe that? <laughs> wow. And just, just for our listeners, Hal Crook is a great trombonist and also educator and, and, uh, in Boston. In Boston. Yeah. And then, of course, Peter Sprague is local jazz guitar luminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, wasn't Hal Crook out in San Diego for a while? Yes, he was. Yeah. In oh. fact, um, back in the 70s, like 1976 or 77, uh, I hooked up with Mark Lesman. He was about huh. 18 or 19 years old at oh, the wow. time. Great, great local and tenor player. And he really player. helped me learn how to play jazz quite a bit. Wow. Because I'd heard the Antonio Carlos Beam tunes. I'd heard various things, but I didn't had no facility with playing it other than with the ability to play my reading was terrible 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 and he was the guy that kind of held my hand through playing tunes in the real book and backing up and starting over and hmm. says no you left out a bar blah 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 to help me get to the point where i could hear those tunes and and yeah. and I, at one point i said man i sure would love to study arranging and a few months later Mark says, hey, well, there's Hal Crook. I don't know if you know who that is, yeah. but he's like a serious arranging teacher, and he's coming to San Diego. And he had, a, he had a little, I think it was called San Diego School of Performing Music. And I remember uh, Larry Delacruz, Bob Campbell, myself. I know some of uh, A yeah. lot of the, the guys that were playing jazz, including guys I didn't know, like focused right on that little spot because they heard Hal was coming to town. Wow. Yeah. So... I think he taught me more in, you know, just a few months than I'd learned at any other time. And I've had some other great teachers, but he was really right at the top of the list. And you've done, I've played at your house before too, and you have something that I, I caught my eye immediately when I came in. You've got a, a spinet piano there, mm-hmm. as I recall, and you've got 
masking tape sort of stuck above oh. it with the keys and, and there'll be a long row, row of tape and they'll say Barry Sachs and then there'll be a slightly more off thing and they'll say trumpet and trombone. So you can use... I got the super, range outlined. Yeah. I think that's genius. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm like, I have a little picture on my phone of that. Okay. But when you're actually playing, especially if you arrange from the piano, that's, yeah. I saw that immediately. I'm like, that is that is a, a really simple well, and incredibly effective idea. That's what you got to do until you get it memorized. And I still make plenty of mistakes as far as writing stuff out of range. Because I'll yeah. be thinking, you know, that sometimes that piano sounds good at middle C and underneath. <laughs> and, and I'll write it an octave higher on the staff because writing it down there is too low. Mm. And then I get myself in trouble. Right, <laughs> you get horn you know, players the, mad the, at you. The horn yeah. players are very, very forgiving, and they um, they've helped me out a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm really and, paying a, a lot of attention to you know get the range right the first time. Right, you know. Yeah, and you do a lot of work with horns for our listeners that aren't as familiar with your stuff. Um, you do quite a bit of horn band. Yeah, I've been doing gigs, yeah. uh, a horn band show at Lestat's uh, almost every Sunday for like 14 years oh wow um it's called robin hinkle band with horns and actually we just lost the Lestats date because I, they closed to music but I know. Uh, that's in so my good. effort to uh search out some new venues chuck perrin has always been open-armed about robin come into dizzy's come into dizzy's nice. so we're going to do a dizzy's show uh june 22 that's great with, uh three horns uh guitar bass drums Oh, wicked. Uh, that is a, not to, not to jump back, that is a bummer about Lestats. That's been, mm -hmm. Lestats has been a, a music venue in San Diego f since time immemorial. Um, or time immemorial, what's the expression? I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> it's too a early. It's too early. I had a, a long, late gig last super night. Super long, long time. Yeah. A really, long, really long really, time. Really, really long time. <laughs> yeah. And ho played host to all sorts of musicians from, and gave so many musicians their start. And yeah. It's, it's really Louis sad has been it. really operated from the heart as far as bringing in musicians. Yeah. You know, young ones, getting them started, giving them a chance. Yeah. And he was such a great sound guy. And so much stuff got recorded there. Mm -hmm. I even went in there and recorded some, some video work for uh, bassist Harley Magsino uh, and his trio. Yeah. But Louis is such a great help. And he was like helping me with mic placement and everything. Louis, the I mean, sound, the long-standing sound man at Lestat's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, would, I would say he manages that room. Yeah, yeah. He's got a cool dog too. Yeah. <laughs> um, back to your uh, back to your record. You do you play several different guitars on this, or kind of float around, or yes. is it the same instrument? Um, actually, there are four different guitars. Actually, three of them are from the 1930s. One of them is in 1929. Wow. Uh, the one that was on that last cut that we just heard, Slippery, is a 1937 National. It's called a Duolian. It's a metal-bodied resonator guitar. Wow. And it was not made with a pickup, but I put a pickup on it. Mm. And I just dial in just a hair of dirt on the gain of the amp and... Uh, you know, it's basically acoustic, but it's since it's got an electromagnetic pickup on it, it's definitely not an acoustic. Right. My sound comes over the amp. Anyway, there's that guitar. And then I have an early 30s uh, Dobro. Uh, the reason I have two, two different guitars is they're tuned differently. One's tuned to a 
a D chord, a D major chord, ah. uh, the same way as if you struck an E chord on the regular tuning right, on the so guitar. Right, so it's tuned down a, a, a whole, <coughs> tuned down down a whole step. step. So it's yeah. D, A, D, F sharp, A, D. Hmm. And that's really good. When you hear that kind of stereotypical electric blues sound of like Elmore James, that... That's usually going to be that tuning. You know, I don't know. I just liked it. Anyway, so there's... 1937 uh, National. There's a, a early 30s Dobro. There's a regular guitar that was. It's called a Recording King, but it was made by Gibson in 1939. That was kind of like a lower echelon guitar, not their top of the line. Because in the late depression, you know, you couldn't. People couldn't fork out the money for a good quality guitar. Mm. So they may, and you know, catalog sales were kind of like the internet of the, the late thirties going into the fifties. Right. Where, you can go and like look down and buy all these right, guitars, could, buy all these amplifiers. Yeah, yeah. People in the country could buy the same products that people could get in the cities. Mm. And so a lot of, uh, or some guitar manufacturers made lower echelon guitar to sell with catalogs. Anyway, that's a wonderful guitar. It looks just like the, the guitar that uh, Charlie Christian played. It's got mm. the ah. three bolts right by the pickup, which is unique to only those two guitars. And then there's a 1929 wow. National Tricone. That's a guitar that's played on my lap okay. because it's got what they call a Hawaiian neck. Mm. It's, it's a big square neck. So you can't get your hand around it. It's too big. You wow. know, it's intended to be played huh. lap. Uh, lap style. Wow. Yeah. And that one was found at a garage sale in Ramona, not huh. by me, huh. but that's kind of the, the holy grail of guitar collectors' guitars. I mean, you could spend a lot more on an SUV than you could have to spend <laughs> to buy this thing, but this thing, is there are only a thousand of them or so, or a few thousand in the universe. That's Jeez. it. So it's, a, it's kind of high on the, the list of collectibles as far as guitar cool. nerds go. Wow. So do you take some of these out to shows? Yeah. And use them? Yeah. Yes, I do. The Dobro, in, too. In fact, yeah. when I bought that guitar, I commented to the fellow that was selling it to me, I'm going to be afraid to take this to a show. And I, it's like f for fear of it getting stolen or broken or something. And he says, you have to. He says, yeah. part of the reason I'm selling it to you, I could have sold it to a, to a rich guy that'll sit there and have it behind a piece of plexiglass yeah. and smoke cigarettes and show it to all his friends. Or... I could sell it to a guy who's actually going to walk out on the street and play it. And Americans and other people can, can touch it and see it and go, that's a piece of functional art. Yeah. Yeah. You it makes know? me sad when I go to, I was at Museum of American History and like one of Coltrane's saxophones is in there behind the class. Right, right. <laughs> or the guys in, in, you know, rich guys that buy old Selmers and they put them in a case. We call them the Horn Shriners because it's just a shrine, but nobody uses it. Yeah. So. It's, me it's, it's meant to, if it's a good instrument, it should be played. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I, I take a certain pride and uh, just a, I get an exhilaration when it's appropriate to walk out in the crowd with the guitar. Yeah. And that's unamplified. So you hear what it sounds like. It's got three, the reason they call it a tricone is instead of one large resonator pan that's mm. 12 inches in diameter, it's got three resonators that are about four and a half inches in diameter. And you can't really tell when you're looking at it, but when you get up at close, you can see through a screen and you can see those resonators. The string energy is transferred transferred to those resonators and it amplifies itself acoustically. Wow. I wish I was here so I could bring across yeah, it. Yeah. Huh. So you can hear, you know, back then they were trying to make a guitar louder yeah. and yeah. they hadn't figured out how to do it yet. The pickup had 
probably people were experimenting with pickups, but they hadn't made it work very well. Right. So people were still just playing guitars in the microphones. Yeah, yeah, in the microphones, or you know, that's that was the last ditch effort to make guitars louder before the pickup came along. And when the pickup came along, all of a sudden the saxophone player wasn't the loudest guy in the band anymore. Huh. Oh, right. The guitar player, <laughs> like, and when you look at music history that followed that. Charlie Christian, T-Bone Walker, Chuck Berry, Jimi Hendrix, yeah. all of this stuff. And it kind of played into obliterating jazz, you know, and was taken over by rock and roll. Yeah. As, for as, better or for worse. Right. I remember reading an interview with one of the old jazz guitar players. He said that when they got one of the fellows that played with um, Nat King Cole, Irving mm. Ashby, and he said that when a guy asked him to play Hound Dog, he wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> because he said that all the good guitar players have been tossed out and don't matter anymore. And it was a lot of that was the history of the guitar pickup or you know the, wow. what happened after the pickup came out which is probably the mid 30s. Yeah, if you you know, you don't have to be you don't have to be very good, you could just be loud and get attention. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> we didn't That's say that. That's my motto, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been too. working for me so far. <laughs> it works for trumpet players, you know. Um, <laughs> so, so on this uh, on this new record, was there sort of a concept you wanted to explore? Because it is mu- it's largely a blues record, but it, yeah, you, like, as is your style, you sort of pull in from some of the. But I'm sources. not trying to keep it strictly blues, hmm. but I'm definitely uh, my playing style is derivative of the Mississippi blues style hmm. of Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters. Uh, Mississippi, Fred McDowell, Skip James, a lot of people that may not be well-known uh, today's world, but uh, they uh, they influenced the way, you know, that music was played, yeah. and they influenced a lot of rock bands that followed. Yeah. And they influenced me the same way, and then I found out who these guys were, probably because I was playing hard rock in the 70s, and I found out later that... You know, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, all of these groups were drawing inspiration from the guitar players in Mississippi. Right. From but, the 30s to 50s. Yeah, I mean, all American popular music is 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 African-American based. Mm-hmm. It's some, you know, you could trace it back pretty yeah. much every, everything, you know, to the, to the blues, the gospel, to, ev- you know, jazz. Everything that came after that came somehow out of that. I mean... It, it's funny to think to look at like Taylor Swift and and think that somehow she could trace her evolutionary roots back to early American blues, but mm-hmm. sort of. <laughs> no, oh, man. there's a weird. This could be a different podcast. This is a yeah. there's it's a the weird evolutionary through line. Somehow you get that. <laughs> um, did you release it yourself, or is there? Yeah, it's it's strictly self release. Gotcha. Yeah, and and forgive me, I have to ask this: Who is Bongo Man? Bongo Man is me. Okay. Uh, that was just a nickname that I picked up many, many years ago, and I'm not even sure exactly where that came from. I got it's you. It's been around for a long time. It's been kicking around. Yep. You've got a so, track on there. The title caught me right away, and actually I've, I listened to it like twice. It's my favorite tune on the oh, record. Oh, cool. Bongo Man's Camping Adventure. Yes. The tune title just got me right away. I'm like, what is this? But it's such it's a cool little <laughs> little finger finger pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds great. I mean, you make that, that it's just a guitar. I mean, it's just one instrument is what I mean to say, mm-hmm. but you make it sound so full. Uh, yeah. which, which guitar was that? That's the, the 1930. That's the guitar that's tuned like a regular guitar. Okay. Yeah, nice. Um, it sounds great. I'm sorry. That was I. Li- I put that. I like listened to the record. and I went back to Bongo Man. I'm like, this is this is neat. Yeah, that was. I I remember making a. Uh, I used to do camp solo camping trips, and mm. I had done one in the uh, 
Eastern California desert, uh, just east or just west of Yuma, Arizona, oh, but in wow. California. Wow. Uh, There's nothing out there. I forget wow. what they call that area. This uh, Picaccio Wilderness. Okay. And I was camping out there for about, you know, when you camp out by yourself for five days, you start, you know, talking to yourself a little bit. And <laughs> I've got a video camera and you start getting, you got all this time. And I start <laughs> making my own videos and going crazy. And the music for one of them was, I figured, well, it's the Bongo Man Camping Adventure. All right. So that's where that gotcha. title originated. I gotcha. Very cool. So let's get into another tune. This is uh, this one's called Little Cars. Which record is this off of? My last record was a year ago, and it I just I got a weird hair to go. You know what? I'm going to release all these recordings I've done since 1986, which at least half of them are fusion jazz recordings, um, and just re- re- put out these songs that have never been released because I had a lot of recordings that were done on eight, ten, eight, uh, eight track half inch tape in these various studios. Mm. And I always loved seeing sometimes like on a record where they say this was, this was mixed uh, here, this was mixed in Nashville, this was recorded in Atlanta, but it was mixed in New York. It, it's kind of cool to see all of that. And mm. I don't know, it kind of gave me a similar vibe of uh, bringing all these sessions together that were recorded in all these disparate places. And some of them, I didn't even have the master recordings. Oh, wow. I had to take the recording off of the cassette tape, which sounds like terribly low quality, but you know... Was it one of those older sessions? Or Actually, this particular tune uh, is a newer session that was done in 2008. I bought Pro Tools. And so I became isolated, doing everything by myself. <laughs> and that uh, this song was actually the title cut of my first album back in 1979 when there were no oh, CDs. Wow. It was a vinyl record. And the first song was uh, Little Cars.
You're listening to San Diego Sessions. Subscribe on iTunes or listen online at DirtyBoulevardRecording.com. I'm Ed Kornhauser, and here's your jazz forecast for April 23rd through the 29th. Monday, April 23rd, guitarist Louis Valenzuela hosts his regular Monday Night Jam session at Rosie O'Grady's in Normal Heights from 9 p.m. to midnight. No cover, but you must be 21 or older. Tuesday, April 24th, the Havana Jam, an Afro-Cuban and Latin jazz jam session, kicks off downtown from 8 p.m. to midnight at Prohibition. KSDS and Jazz 88 present Jazz Live, a tribute to Joe Pass with guitarist Frank Potenza at the Seville Theater on the City College campus, featuring bassist Luther Hughes and local drummer Jim Plank. Music begins at 8 p.m. If you're a Jazz 88 member, you can reserve up to two free tickets on jazz88.org by signing into the Speakeasy. If not, you can call 619-388-3301 and order tickets. Jazz Live is a monthly live radio broadcast with a live audience, so stay tuned for more great jazz. If you can't make it, listen from home on Jazz 88.3 FM. Also, later that night, my organ trio plays some late-night jams at 7 Grand from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., featuring guitarist Michael Borowski and drummer Charlie Weller. No cover, but you must be 21 or older. Wednesday, April 25th. Trumpeter Guba Castellanos hosts his regular Wednesday night jam session at Panama 66. Listen to the best jazz San Diego has to offer right in the middle of beautiful Balboa Park. Music from 8.30 to 11.30 p.m. Come early to see the Young Lions play from 6 to 8 p.m., featuring up-and-coming musicians from around the city. Also that night, the Doug Cavandle Hammond Organ Trio plays at Fast Times at Claremont at 7 p.m. April 26th. Trumpeter and vocalist Jason Hanna brings his trio to the U.S. Grant from 8 to 11 p.m. Just across town, there's a late-night jam session at the Ken Club, hosted by saxophonists Robert Dove and Ian Buss. Music from 9 p.m. to about midnight. $5 cover, but musicians get in for free. You must be 21 or older. Friday, April 27th. Bassist Mackenzie Layton brings a trio to the Handlery Hotel in Hotel Circle from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m with pianist Jason Chatiel and drummer Charlie Weller. No cover, and your parking is validated. The Friday Happy Hour is a regular series put on by Holly Hoffman, so stay tuned for more great jazz. Saxophonist Robert Dove pays tribute to the great Wayne Shorter at the La Jolla Community Center, along with bassist Dean Hewlett and drummer Tyler Crutell. There's a reception at 7 p.m. with music starting at 8 p.m. Tickets are $18 in advance for members, $23 for non-members, and $25 at the door. Guitarist Peter Pupping brings his quartet to Dizzy's, featuring keyboardist Alan Phillips, bassist Mark Hunter, and drummer Kevin Cock. Music starts off at 8 p.m., covers $20. Also Friday, Gilbert Castellanos presents Jazz at the Westgate, an intimate series in the Plaza Bar at the beautiful Westgate Hotel. Music from 8 to 11 p.m. And just across the street, the Whitney Shea Quartet plays some jazz and blues at the U.S. Grand Hotel from 8 p.m. to midnight. Saturday, April 28th. 
Our guest, guitarist Robin Hinkle, plays a set at Artwalk in Little Italy at the corner of Cedar and in India at 11 a.m. Later on that evening, he'll be at DeMille's Italian Restaurant at 5.30. Jazz at the Jacobs presents an homage to the seminal record by Miles Davis, Kind of Blue. The band features the all-star ensemble of Gilbert Castellanos, James Mahoney, Charles McNeil, Roy McCurdy, George Delancey, and Gerald Clayton. The show starts at 8 p.m. at Copley Symphony Hall. Tickets available at sandiegosymphony.org. Right down the street, young piano phenom Joey Alexander plays with his trio at the historic Balboa Theater. His debut album, My Favorite Things, was nominated for a Grammy in 2016. Tickets available at sandiegotheaters.org. Also, later that night, Jazz is Fish plays some jazzy, funky, instrumental jams at Winston's in OB, featuring members of Snarky Puppy. Doors at 9 p.m., music at 9.30. Cover is $15, and you must be 21 or older. Sunday, April 29th. Guitarist Robin Hinkle plays another set at Art Walk in Little Italy at the corner of Cedar in India at 11 a.m. Tim Felton and crew host their monthly funk jam session at Panama 66 in Balboa Park from 6 to 8 p.m. Check out Sundays in the Park on Facebook to see a song list and sign up. Lastly, but not leastly, vocalist Leonard Patton and myself play a fun mix of tunes at the Turf Supper Club from 8 to 11 p.m. You're listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast. And we're back on San Diego Sessions, episode 35 with Robin Hinkle. We just heard Tonopah, followed by Nicaragua under the jazz calendar. And once again, we're coming to you from Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. If you'd like to follow the podcast, check out our Instagram, at San Diego Sessions Podcast. Or if you have any comments or would like to be a guest on the show, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email. That is sdsessionspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, you could uh, look us up on iTunes, subscribe if you like us, give us a nice little nice little rating, maybe a review. And if you don't like us, uh, just stay away from that. Stay away from the review button. Stay away from the, stay away from the uh, star button. Just leave us be, and you can write me hate mail. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for our favorite segment of the entire morning or <laughs> afternoon or whatever time it is where you are. Yeah. The San Diego 7 with yeah. Ed Kornhauser. Yes, this these are this is the San Diego Seven. These are seven questions we'd like you to answer from the top of your head and the bottom of your heart. <laughs> don't okay. worry, they they are not. Some of them musical, re, musically related. Some are not. This don't worry. This isn't gotcha journalism. I'm okay. not going to throw you off. Okay, anything too badly. Don't worry. Um, number one, what's the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? Going back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I did the same thing. I've been trying to make myself sleep longer. Nice. That's good. After years of getting five hours of sleep, now I'm trying to get six. Number two, and you can verify this on Instagram later, uh, or you could check this out. Number two, where do you get your hats? I get my hats from a company, I think they're in Chicago, Hmm. called Levine hat works or hmm. maybe just Levine clothiers or okay. something or other. This is this hat is a is called a big apple. Oh. 
Okay. And it's the largest of all of these. You know, these kind of fall in the category of like a newsboy cap. Right, right. But and that, when you that's watch, got a specific style to yeah, it. Yeah, the Big Apple are the large ones. Yeah, yours you is very, it's very big and it's sort of flopped to one yeah, side. Yeah, you can flop it and wear it however, oh. which way you want to have it, you know. And I just have taken to these uh, hats in the last several years. And it's funny that uh, I'm 66 years old. And, you know, it's, it's to some extent, not so much in jazz, but in pop music, you know, it's kind of a young young person's sport, mm. so to speak. And um, a lot of the older musicians feel kind of left out. They get less gigs. They get hired less. And it's, I feel so fortunate that I've been able to make my age work for me because I'm playing an old-fashioned style of music. Suspenders, yeah, yeah, was chicks good. like to snap the suspenders, <laughs> the hat, you know, the old tie. The, you know, when, when you put all that together and you're playing music from the 1930s or 40s, it clicks. Mm. Even for an audience that has no appeal for that, they see it and they go, oh, okay. Yeah, that connects. That makes sense for him. You you've, know? you've got you've got a great look, and it works well. It works well with the music. Mm-hmm. It's a complete package. Um, yeah, I was just curious because I I have a bunch of flat caps myself, little newsboys, mm-hmm. but none quite so um, big and flop, big mm-hmm. and flop. I mean, you'll see it on the Instagram. It's a big floppy hat. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Or you'll see it when you go check Robin out. Hats of Instagram. There you go. Yes. The hats of Instagram. <laughs> okay. Hashtag haverdasher. <laughs> Number three. And this is actually something, you're a longtime San Diegan, I believe. Yes. You're, you're from Seattle originally. Well, I was born in Pensacola, Florida, but uh, I don't have roots there other than my dad was in the Navy. Okay. 1951. My mom's from Boston. My dad's from Tacoma. He From the Navy at the end of World War II, he went to uh, Seattle to get a degree in electronic engineering. Okay. And then moved to San Diego in 1957. Oh. And apart from a year and a half in Seattle, after that, uh, I've been in San Diego the entire time since 57. Grew up in Kearney Mesa. Well, then you might be the perfect person to ask this question. (laughs) Okay. After that setup. This bugs me. This this has always bugged me. If Pacific Beach is called PB and Ocean Beach is called OB and Imperial Beach is called IB... Why is Mission Beach not called MB? Nobody says MB. They don't say that? I don't know. I've never heard. No one says that, but everyone says, oh, yeah, I live in PB. I live in IB. I live in OB. Right. In other words, no one says MB. You might see it, but it's not a commonly used expression. I've never seen it or heard it. I've never seen uh, MB for Mission Beach. I guess they just don't... uh... Great, you know, what can I say? You know, maybe they want to stay, they're kind of tucked down there, you know. If you don't, if you don't keep going straight from Belmont Park down, you're not going to get there. Maybe they like it that way. Maybe that, maybe that's true. It's a way to keep the tourists and the rest of us out, right? We don't want to go to a place that's not two letters long. (laughs) Sorry, that's a that's a personal gripe of mine, just bugs me. (laughs) Um, all right, number four. If you could go back in time to a period of history or a specific historical event, what would it be? Any period oh, wow. or event. I think the two most significant things that have happened in my lifetime, I was born in 51 and mm-hmm. probably became, you know, world conscious in a slight way. But by the time you're what, like eight or 10, mm-hmm. you know, we were seeing the, uh, was the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, growing up with people building bomb shelters and then the civil rights movement, that was huge. Yeah. You know, because all of the music I grew up on was black music or almost all of it. And my deepest, strongest mentors, 
uh, were black musicians. Josh White in particular was a big one. And then years later, Jimi Hendrix, mm. you know, and in the time between that, soul, I was in a soul band that played James Brown, Temptations and Supremes and all of that stuff. So how could that not be part of your soul? That yeah. you were, even though I grew up in a white neighborhood, uh, is that that was just part of our thing. And um, so the civil rights movement was huge. So you would want to go back and 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 see that now as a as a. If you could, I, I don't think we have to go back. Oh, that's true. No, that's that's very true. It's, <laughs> I, I, it's that's still, true. It's still very much alive, and it needs to be alive. Yes, yes. People think the civil rights movement is something that happened, and I think it's it's very much yeah. still. Well, happening. it did happen back then. Right. And it's yeah. like it's sometimes there are, there are lulls of. Uh, there are periods where not much is happening, or it seems like it. I was, I was, I was in D.C. last week, and I was sitting up on the Lincoln Memorial, and I was just looking like this is where Martin Luther King spoke. Really, somewhere on these, yeah. you know, somewhere on these steps. That you know, I'm mm -hmm. like, that was kind of. It's like it's here. It's just it felt kind of neat. I, I don't, you know, I, I believe people can hallow like a certain ground by what they do there, and you know, so I thought that was very cool, just mm -hmm. to sort of sit yeah, there and huge. think on that. Yeah. Um, uh, number five. This is a this versus that kind of like the beginning. Okay. This versus that. Josh White or Joshua White. Local, oh my God, local they're both great. Local I, jazz I, piano player and former podcast guest. Joshua, when I heard of Joshua, Joshua White the first time, I I, I kind of knew who he was. A wonderful, wonderful musician. Oh, and yeah. I really respect him, and I've never really met him or know him personally, but. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Josh White, who was my mentor back in the in the '60s. I had a stack of his records, and I'd be doing something in the garage. It's when we lived in Seattle. I probably had four of his records, and on the old turntables where you could put like three or four records stacked up. Wow! And then when one was finished, the next one would pop down, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the next one would finish, and the next one would pop down. This is the early oh, yeah. version of a playlist. And then, <laughs> and then that last record, if you didn't get up and play it, the arm comes up and it plays that record again. Huh. You know what I mean? When the arm, the, when the arm with the needle on it gets to yeah. the center, it would automatically pick up and play that side again. Hmm. So I'd hear like three or four Josh White records, and then the last one, I would hear like three or four times and I'd go, I can't stand this. And then I'd flip it over. Yeah. And so all of that music was pretty much uh, indoctrinated in a good way. Wow. Did, um, did you ever get to see Josh White perform? Yes, I did. In fact, wow. that's what clued me into him. You know, back when I was a little kid, um, I heard American folk music and a limited amount of it was blues. And in that time, whenever the performer would bend the string, I thought that was really cool. And when we go to the coffee houses of the early 60s, um, there were certain songs, Nobody Wants You When You're Down and Out, mm. which is probably actually a Bessie Smith tune. Um, and, uh, you know, certain tunes were the John Henry, the blues of John Henry, certain tunes like reached me. And I didn't know there was a thing called blues. And when we went to see Josh White, uh, I said my I was about ten or eleven years old. I said to my dad, "God, I liked every one of his songs," and um, he says, "Well, that's blues." Yeah. And we went backstage and walked right into the dressing room. And you know, growing up in a white neighborhood, I never seen a black guy up close before, right? And so he's this is in the this is in the this, this is, is like nineteen sixty two or wow. so. 
and he's drenched in sweat. He'd taken his shirt off. He's got a towel wrapped around him like an athlete, you know, or around mm-hmm. his neck. He's smoking a cigarette, you know, and he was like sitting there with his guitar. And I said, I have your autograph. I mean, he was bigger than life. He was like Paul Bunyan or like some national hero or something to me. Yeah. And, um, Wow, that was huge. And I still have that. He signed, Robert, I wish you best always on the little wow. playbill that was the, you know, the thing that you'd wow. be handed. So I still have that. It's framed. Oh, wow. I bet. That's wow. amazing. What a yeah. seminal moment. That's a big one for especially, me. Especially being a little kid. Like, just oh, yeah. Him. Wow. And then uh, I never saw him again other than there are some YouTube uh, videos of him performing. Mm. And, you know, one unique thing that he did is you know how like guitar t- players would take a a lit cigarette that they were smoking and put it in the headstock of the guitar between the string and the wood of the guitar yeah and yeah. play while the cigarette's going well josh white would put the cigarette behind his ear kind of sticking out like this and he'd be playing this song and the cigarette would be burning down gradually and i think it made audiences kind of uh gave them anxiety <laughs> oh my god to, to watch this and he'd like at the last minute he'd pick it up and take a puff and put it out you know but that was uh, one and of his we things. We felt the fresh heat against his head. Yeah, I was talking once with a with a local drummer, and she told me a story. Jeanette Kangas, and she told me a story about seeing. I think it was Elvin Jones, great jazz drummer with the Coltrane Quartet, play, and he had a cigarette in his mouth, and he's just going, and he's just he's just being super Elvin, and he's raging, the cigarette's burning, and he's just he's playing. It gets lower, and lower. It just like barely gets to the end, and then swallows it. Oh, really? Middle of the. <laughs> Yeah, but he doesn't even notice. He just keeps playing. <laughs> like everyone in the crowd was like, "The sick." He just ate it. He just ate. It. Wow. <laughs> didn't even phase him. In fact, she said that was at the lighthouse when he was playing with uh, Steve Grossman, oh, Elvin wow. Jones, live at the lighthouse. Wow, yeah. I didn't know the context of it. Wow. <laughs> um, okay, number ten. Number six. This is another this versus that, and I think it's actually a fairly clear answer. Belts or bracers? I'm definitely bracers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're I didn't know what braces were until I was speaking to an English woman, and I call them suspenders, and she instructed me that suspenders are what women use to hold up their stockings. Yes. <laughs> and she says we call them braces. Yes, two, 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 uh, two countries separated by a common language. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're definitely a suspender man all the way. Um, and number seven, this is just a, um, this is just a, a person of, of historical quote-unquote prominence and this is just a i'm just gonna just gonna sit open-ended treat this as you want jimmy buffett i played with jimmy buffett one time really he sat in at the triton when i used to play there with a top 40 group back in about 1982 or so and he apparently knew somebody in Cardiff because whenever he would do a concert in San Diego, he would show up at the Triton. Oh, and wow. one time he got asked to sit in. And he had some of his band there with him. Huh. I really hit it off with a, a harmonica player named Fingers. Never really got what his real name was. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but Jimmy's bass player was not there. Okay. And and Jimmy's up on stage. We're getting ready to play a song, and I I lean over to him and I, I whisper in his ear. I said, "Jimmy, I don't know any of your songs." And he goes, <laughs> uh, "Kia F Bo Diddley beat bonk donk 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 gone." He starts singing a song called Volcano. So I actually have a picture of that. Oh wow, that's crazy! So oh, all right, I mean, yeah, Jimmy Buffett <laughs> is is very commonly the butt of a joke about musical sophistication. He's just uh, act. He's 
somebody brought in a record that he sings standards that oh, surprised the hell out of me he did a he did a standards record too yeah oh, he wow. did a standards record i remember there is there a song called moonlight over georgia or moonlight on alabama oh stars fell in alabama yeah he i think that was one of the songs he did that i have to hear i want to that's one of my favorite <laughs> tunes was, and jimmy buffett's probably one of my least favorite musicians so i want to see how that evens <laughs> out <laughs> so no i hear you talking you know i'm not gonna <laughs> i want to see how that those two like maybe they cancel each other out and it's a great track <laughs> yeah. no, i'm right. really curious to hear that now actually mm-hmm <laughs> Spotify. Spotify. There you go. Jimmy it's probably Buffett not sings. on there. Yeah, he probably Jim- paid an internet cleaner to like remove that from his bio. Yes, Jimmy Buffett sings the Great American Songbook. <laughs> okay. That was the San Diego 7 with Ed Kornhauser and our guest Robin Hinkle. Um, so, Robin, you actually have a, a fun gig coming up at our very own Dizzy's Jazz yes. Club that's going to feature horns. Uh, it's going to be June 22nd, which is a Friday. And uh, Chuck has always been very gracious about inviting me back to Dizzy's. And I haven't picked up on it until just now. We're going to do our first show at Dizzy's probably in over 10 years. Wow. And uh, I'm excited about it. It's going to be Gary Nevis on drums, Jody Hill on bass, Steve Ebner trumpet, Troy Jennings on baritone saxophone, and David Castellero on tenor saxophone and clarinet. And we're going to do a combination of, you know, swing you know, things that I, you know, jazz that I'd written as well as uh, funk. We mix those two up. And we might do a little blues. Sometimes I get into the talking about the blues thing, but this is mostly to feature the horns and the writing, the ranging. Yeah. Very Great. cool. Yeah. Be an awesome it's show. probably my most, uh, even though it's um, the show I perform the least, it's probably one of my most proud efforts. Uh, coming up out of playing, you know, developing a a, tri- or a a reputation for playing primitive blues style, like Mississippi blues, country blues, uh, to be able to, you know, compose and write all the parts out and have a book for each horn is, you know, a fair amount of work. And uh, it's really come together over That's, the years. Well, that sounds great. Be sure to check that out at, uh, on June 22nd over June. at Dizzy's. Yeah. That sounds that sounds terrific. And and if people want to check out where else you're playing, they can go to your website, I believe. Yeah, it's robinhenkel.com. And if you just Google Robin Henkel Blues, I'm sure you'll find it, even if you spell it wrong. You know, it has a way of putting you in the right place. Yeah, there's a website that has a current schedule. That's great. And speaking of gigs, I just want to talk for a quick second. This will come out after the fact, but where are you heading to right now? Right now, I'm headed down to Donovan State Prison. And since September, well, actually, longer than that, but at Donovan, we've been going since September. We do a guitar and songwriting workshop with about 12 to 15 of the inmates down there. And it's part of a program called Jail Guitar Doors. And uh, I did that at uh, the East Mesa Reentry Facility uh, just as a volunteer for two years before Robert Byrd, uh, who's involved with Jail Guitar Doors, says, hey, well, they want to send us down to Donovan, and, and now it's being funded. So wow. a company called uh, William James Association funds this. And Jail Guitar Doors was, I don't know if you remember, you'd have to be kind of old and a rock and roller, but there was a band called MC5 back in 1968, 69. I know MJ5, but not MC5. Yeah. Yeah. MC5 was the f- one of the first bands in rock and roll to get the the it's okay to say the f word right i just won't say it okay you can (laughs) say the f word they said it on a record and they had a a certain way that they always started their 
uh, their set, which I can't, I'm not going to say now, but anybody my age that listened to rock and roll would know what it was. They were, they were 10 years before punk music. They were hard rock band. It was just like hard driving. Well, one of those guys is a fellow named Wayne Kramer, and he is kind of one of the co-sponsors or founders of this program, Jail Guitar Doors. He was incarcerated for a while, wow. and so he knows what it's like to be in a prison and wanted to start this workshop to help prisoners develop almost like better relationships with each other as well as the staff at prisons, yeah. uh, develop a lot of skills that they didn't really learn on the streets and they wound up in prison for making really terrible choices sometimes, but to teach uh, skills of mutual appreciation, when teamwork, when people work on a song together, like one guy can rap and another guy can sing and another guy can write lyrics, but he can't sing and another guy can play the guitar pretty good, but he doesn't write lyrics. You get these guys together playing a song and teamwork and respect is is encouraged that's great. as well as as well as uh diversity as far as um where you're from yeah, who yeah. you connect with a lot of that goes out the door when we go into the door of this uh workshop you know the hostilities that are might be present in other areas of the prison are abandoned at least for a while that's great in the, the workshop the walls can come down and yeah. you can just and um, work on music and work with each other. So it's, a, it's you know, here I am talking it up in a certain way, but for myself, selfishly, when I walk out of there, my heart is pounding. It's yeah. like, whoa. And so are the other people that go in with me. There are four of us that go now, and uh, we just do a workshop together with these guys. That's a really that's cool awesome. thing. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to light on that, because when you told us this morning that you were doing that, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. It's yeah. really, it's really a powerful. Cool. Uh, yeah. I get a lot, I get a lot from it. Yeah. Well, have a great gig, and we'll we'll get you on your way to your gig. But again, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, and really. Doing Thank the you, interview. Ed. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Out. Thank you very much. That was really fun. It's been yeah. great to hear the tunes, and we're going to take it out with with one more tune. This one's called "Down to the Bone," and this features uh, the late great San Diego saxophonist yeah. Hollis Gentry. Yes, he performed on this tune back in. Uh, Mm, I don't even remember now probably 1992 wow. or so because he was playing at Croce's at the same time
You've been listening to the San Diego Sessions podcast brought to you by Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. Please subscribe now on iTunes or listen online at dirtyboulevardrecording.com. Theme music composed by Ed Kornhauser. Performed by Ed with Grant Fisher guitar, Harley Magzino bass, Ian Tordella saxophone, and Charles Weller on drums. If you'd like to be a guest on San Diego Sessions, please contact us. All musical selections are used by permission of the artists. San Diego Sessions is engineered and produced by Ian Tordella at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company.